This is a one and all media podcast. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name is Aaron, and we're finishing this message that we started last time with Pastor Jeff looking at the story of Jonah. Pastor Jeff is still looking at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was called by God to preach to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Nineveh was a really bad place. They were into all kinds of awful behavior, such as child sacrifice, torture, and they were a hated group of people. And it's no wonder that Jonah was running in the opposite direction of where God commanded him to go. The story tells us he was swallowed by a big fish, and then he was spat out in the land he was running from. Here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of this message and how it applies to our own lives today. You know how when somebody says something to you all the time, over and over and over, after a while you become immune to it. You just, you get used to the language, right? It's kind of like my sermons, right? (laughs) You come in every week, I've heard this before, right? And you kind of shut me out. I'm okay with that, but I'm still watching. What God did with the prophets, he would have them act out a message God wanted Israel to hear because he knew that a visual was often much more powerful than just words. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing for God to say to people, I'm going to send my son to die for you. But if you would have seen Jesus, you get a Jesus revelation, it changes everything. Now, a good example of that is what God does with uh, the prophet Hosea and Gomer. Remember, God is trying to communicate to Israel how unfaithful they have been to God. So what God does, he takes his prophet Hosea and he has Hosea marry a prostitute, Gomer, so that the Israelites will see every day how God feels about them. Because people will come up to Hosea and say, Hosea, you're a righteous, blameless man. How on earth could you be married to such an unfaithful person like Gomer? And every time they did that, Hosea would respond, I'll answer you if you answer me. My question to you is, how on earth could God be married to a people who are so unfaithful like us? You see? So every day they got to see that. Now, here's how it works. Usually, when God wants to communicate something, every time in the Bible, he would put the prophet on the stage. The prophet, you'd be able to look at the prophet and his life, and then the audience would be the Israelites. So they're the audience. The prophet's on stage. God would be the director of the play. And whatever's happening in the prophet's life, you're supposed to learn. That happens every time in the Bible, except once. Guess where? Jonah. And in Jonah, God flips it. Jonah now is the audience. And there's a play and God is directing it. And in the play, you have the sun and you have a gourd, a plant. You have a worm and you have the east wind. And all of these symbols matter to a great degree. Because after Jonah sees the Ninevites repent, he goes, the Bible tells us, east of the city. Now, that's not just there for a random uh, uh, kind of a wording. The, the, again, the narrator, the Hebrew narrative is trying to, trying to point something out. What, this is the Bible's way of showing us that Jonah is opposing God. He's protesting. 
because Israel always uh, was next, the landmass was next to the Mediterranean Sea, and all the enemies of Israel laid to the east. So anytime the Bible started using the eastern terminology, it was trying to show you that these are people far from God. So Jonah, what does he do? He goes east of the city in protest, says, God, if the Ninevites are in, I'm out. And he goes and starts to weep. He he starts to complain and murmur and grumble. A good example is when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they go where? East of Eden. When Cain kills Abel, he goes east to the land of Nod. And now we have Jonah leaving. He goes east. East is the name of the place of God's enemies. Now, as Jonah goes east, he sits out on this plateau looking over the city, hoping that God will still destroy the Ninevites, even though they repented. And so here's what happens. Let me describe it, and then I'm going to read it to you. Jonah is hot. He's boiling inside because the people repent, and he thinks God might save them. But he's also boiling on the outside because God sent a vehement, the Bible says, King James Version, a strong east wind. Notice from the east. A violent wind of heat. So he's burning on the inside. He's burning on the outside. And then you know what God does? While Jonah's sitting there feeling sorry for himself, God causes this vine to grow up over Jonah, provides some shade. Now, shade is powerful imagery to an Israelite because they live in the desert. As a matter of fact, Psalm 121 says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Shade is an imagery of God's divine an omnipotent protection. So Jonah, in his mind, see, he gets it. In his mind, when he sees this plant grow up miraculously and cover his head, he's got shade. He's saying, God's going to change his mind because God now is protecting me. And I've, I've been whining here and I'm going to get what I want. Verse six, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. The, little Hebrew, the literal Hebrew there is to deliver him from evil. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. <laughs> I cannot describe to you how strong this language is in the Hebrew. What a temperament, what a moody dude, man. First of all, he's out there, oh, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I preached, they repented. Well, I don't want them to repent. My God, you're gracious, merciful, and kind. And I'm going to go out east of the city and protest. I don't like you right now, God. Just kill me, kill me dead. God gives him a plant. Oh, this feels good. And then he gets shaved and he goes, yay. I mean, come on, he, he wanted to die five minutes ago. And now he's thinking, yay, I love shade, 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 I love shade. Now, you and I look at that and we think, man, this dude really likes shade. No, no. Remember, Jonah's watching the play. And shade is the imagery in the Hebrew mind for victory over my enemies. So Jonah's enemies are the Ninevites. When God causes the shade to grow over Jonah, he thinks God has given him a message that I've changed my mind. I'm going to destroy your enemies and I'm going to give you the sovereign victory. Now, here's what you discover in the book of Jonah. God has more difficulty saving Jonah than he does saving Nineveh. And you start to realize the book of Jonah is not about the evil Ninevites. It's about the evil in the heart of Jonah. Do you know what the message of Jonah is? This narrative, the message is this, that all people matter to God, all of them. Your neighbor who has those beer guzzling parties (laughs) on the weekend and plays his music so loud and keeps everybody awake, God loves that man. Your coworker who uses profanity and spreads pornography around the office, God loves that man. The man who's homeless, jobless, God loves that man. God simply does not think in the categories that we think. 
He doesn't say, these are the kind of people that I'll pursue, but I'm not going to pursue these kind of people. These are the kind of people that I'm very interested in. I have little to no interest in these people. These are not my kind of people. These are my kind of people. These people are worth saving. These people are not worth saving. To God, all people, all of them matter to him. Now, I am not saying that God condones the behavior. I'm not saying that you should condone their behavior. I am not saying that sin should not anger you. I am not saying that you shouldn't take a stand lovingly for what is right. I'm simply saying that you do it in a way that reaches out because deep down in your heart, there is a sadness that there is somebody who is separated from God and in your deepest heart, you want them to come near. Remember when Pastor Phil told us about when his first wife was murdered down in L.A. and his 10-year-old boy was in the back seat? He watched his mom shot and killed. And that his son Josh, as he got older, remember what he did? He went to the prison, sought out the man who killed his own mother to say to the man that he forgave him. I'm not saying that Josh should have said, let him out of prison. He needs to be in prison. God is a God of justice. But I am saying that as an individual, Josh did the right thing. There's somebody far from God that needs to come near to God. No matter who they are, you're never too far from God to be received back by God. All people matter to God. Muslims, atheists, new age people, Hindus, Buddhists, occultists, the sexually immoral, murderers. All of these people keep God up at night. When anyone is separated from God, God tears up. It drives him crazy. It breaks his heart. The question I have for you is, people far from God keep God up at night. Do they keep you up at night? Or are there people that you say, I'm not preaching the gospel to them. They're too bad. They're like the Ninevites. I hope they go to hell. If you do that, you still haven't understood grace and what it took to rescue you. Now, I want to give you a warning. There are some of you in the room, you hear this, and you're on the opposite side. You're saying, man, I love this church. I'm an Ninevite. I got so much sin in my life, but you got to forgive me, man. It's right there in the Bible. Yes, if you repent. If you repent. Grace is beautiful, but it comes after repentance. And then God will give it a truckload and more to you to say that, oh, I don't have to change. I don't have to do anything That says that God is not a God of judgment. Because let's be honest, the Ninevites are one case, the Amalekites are another. God waited patiently for 400 years for the Amalekites to repent. They did not. God wiped them out. God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is kind. But there comes a day of judgment for all of us. And grace is plentiful. But it is plentiful to those who say, I now realize I am a sinner and that I need salvation that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ and all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you don't call on the name of the Lord, the patience of God will run out and there will be a day when you and I will stand before God and give an account for the manner in which we've lived. This is not a free license. This is to show you that God loves everyone, that God is awake at night for people who are far from him and his druther, you know, what he would rather, as we say in the South, what he really wants to happen is repentance. So he's patient year after year after year, but the time comes. God is also just and you will stand before God. And the only saving grace that you have is saving grace. 
the cross of Jesus Christ. So the ultimate question becomes, what have you done with him? Not that you're perfect, but what'd you do with him? Because Jesus says, I'm going to leave my home and I'm going to go to my own Nineveh. And I'm going to do for those people what they could not do for themselves. And I'm going to offer them grace and forgiveness. And then all those who come in are going to form this little community. And this little community, they're going to be people from all walks of life, from every culture, every language, every background. And the word foreigner is never going to be used in this little community called the church because there's no such thing as a foreigner in my church. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's received. All who call on the name of the Lord because all people matter to God. Folks, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? What is our problem? We all have it. I mean, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the pastor for crying out loud. You know, I'm 50 years old now. Well, I said I wasn't going to mention that. Okay. I'm older now. You'd think by now I'd get some of this stuff right in my life and that you would too. But still yet, when you see somebody that walks in here that's not like you or that you think, man, who's this person? You still go the wrong direction. Instead of your heart melting, often we judge somebody. We just write them off and hope they don't sit beside us. People matter to God. Now look what happens in verse 7. At dawn, because Jonah doesn't get this, at dawn the next day God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. So here we got a miraculous worm. It's a fast-eating worm too because he devours the plant. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. My goodness, this guy's a basket case. Kill me, kill me dead. First, the Ninevites repented, kill me. Now this plant died, kill me again. Again, it goes to show you God doesn't answer every prayer or Jonah would be dead. Verse 9, Jonah said, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? First, he says in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry at all? Now, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? See, God's given him a, a test. And Jonah says, it is. And I'm so angry, I want to die. My goodness, what a little bit. He doesn't have shade now. Kill me, kill me dead. But the Lord said, verse 10, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals. Now, I want you to look at this. This is very crucial. Jeff, you said there were 600,000 Ninevites. But here it says, should I not be concerned for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand? This Hebrew terminology is terminology for children before the age of accountability. 120,000 who cannot tell their right from their left. The Bible speaks about an age of accountability. There are scriptures in Isaiah. In Romans 5, 13, it says, where there is no law, there is no sin. There's a point in a child's life which they're not held responsible because there's no understanding of the law. God is saying to Jonah, you want me to go and destroy the Ninevites, but there's 120,000 children there. Should I not care for them? And I love this last line. And then as an afterthought, God says, and also many animals. Don't you love that? He said, I love animals too. Those donkeys didn't do anything, man. I'm not going to just, I mean, come on, man. I like I'm fond of uh, nanny goats, I am. I... Even in the Bible, when sacrifice is required, the animal's life was to be taken quickly, painlessly as possible. God never condoned cruelty to animals of any kind. They were used for our purposes, but never to be treated cruelly. And God said to Jonah, you've got 120,000 children here, and you've got 
You got the animals. The problem in the book of Jonah is twofold. One, there's a problem with Nineveh, but the bigger problem is Jonah. What am I going to do about the evil in his heart? And he doesn't understand that all people matter to me. So the second question, do people far from God matter to you? Now let me finish the story, and then we'll finish the sermon, okay? So when these three guys behind us at Diamondback Stadium kept talking, I was very frustrated, so I did what any mature man would do. I went and told on them. (laughs) I went to the usher up on our row, and I said, man, we've been here for six and a half innings. These guys have been talking nonstop. They don't drop a lot of profanity, but they've dropped some. And, you know, I've got a family here, and, you know, we'd not be able to watch the game because they're not even talking about the game. They're just talking really loud. I've, I've glanced at them a few times, but they don't get the hint. She apologized. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you've had this experience. I wish you would have come up here earlier. And then she said, I'm sorry, sir, but Dodger fans are just like that. <laughs> she, she judged Dodger fans. Because they weren't Dodger fans. They were Diamondback fans. And I realized she did the very same thing that I had done. Automatically jumped to a conclusion. These guys were probably oblivious to what they were doing. I don't know what I could have done. But probably something better than I did. What I should have done is unleash Anthony McMahon's wife, Vivian McMahon. Because she has a way of really just disciplining you while at the same time loving you and somehow edging the gospel in there. It's an art, you know. But instead, I was just angry and I just wanted to leave. And you know, how many times have I said to you, why does God keep putting me in these situations? I woke up because maybe he trusts me and he wants me to use my gift to somehow reach people who are far from God to come near to God. So I am ready for the next time three people behind me start talking really loud at a Dodger game. Of course, we all, we all know Dodger fans don't do that. I've been to Dodger games, I don't know how many times, and they are polite, they are kind. I've always said, the safest place in the world is Dodger Stadium if you have a Dodger shirt on. If you don't, you're taking your life in your own hands. But I digress. That neighbor that you're behind, the beside, the coworker that you detest, have you ever stopped to think that it's not an accident? God brought you there for the purpose of caring about somebody who's far to God, from God and bringing them near to God. This is who we are. It's who I am. This is the call of God on my life and your life. There is no reason. There's no reason whatsoever that there should not be a new believer in your life every year. That there's somebody you invest in all the time. I want to ask you to do four things and they'll move quickly and I'll finish. The first thing is this. I'm asking you to do for one what you wish you could do for all. This is not original with me. I borrowed it from Andy Stanley about 10 years ago, but I loved it and I've used it since. I know you can't save the whole world, but you can save one. You can invest in one life, one. And if it took you 10 years, My fear is that I get to heaven and Jesus says to me, hey, welcome, good and faithful servant. And he says, all that grace I gave you, what did you do with it? Well, I kept it to myself. You mean there's nobody with you, Jeff? The grace you've received is meant to be given to somebody else. And there are so many people around you, they're just waiting on somebody to love them. It may be difficult, I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but if you invest in more than one conversation over time, the right time, the right place. Will you do for one what you wish you could do for all? 
If you're part of CCV, we ask you that at every point in time in your life that you're investing in one person who's far from God to bring them near. Here's the second thing. I'm asking you to make your own version of this. Maybe a painting on your wall at home. Maybe a painting on your office wall. This is a great conversation starter. And sooner or later, somebody will come and ask you, hey, I've been seeing this in your office cubicle. I've seen this in your home. I've seen, maybe you have a little card and every time it's your time to pay for lunch, take a crowbar to your wallet. And as it falls out, there's this card with this on it. Everybody should have this somewhere on their person. So that sooner or later, somebody would say, hey, I've noticed you have this. What is this? And then you're able to say lovingly and gently, I have this as a reminder that I was separated from God because of my sin. And I'm not saying we're Egyptians and we worship the sun God. I just think if you write God there, it'll just, it won't give you that inroad. Just put something there that represents God. I was separated from God because of my sin. This is to remind me that I'm saved by grace. And then you draw the cross. Jesus died for me so that I could cross over into relationship. Now, say it in a nice way. Okay, let me give you an example of how not to do this. All right, Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I've noticed this has been on your wall for a long time. What is it? I'll tell you what it is. This is you, man. You're going to hell. All this sin in your life, you're separated from God. If you don't do something, man, you're doomed. Don't do that way. That's not going to work. Don't talk about them. You talk about you. Talk about you. I am a sinner. I was separated from God because of my sin. But because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I have now entered into relationship and my eternity is secure. Just say something simple like that. And then ask the person if you can pray for them. I've still yet had no one reject my offer to pray for them. Make this part of your life somewhere. Three, I hear stories all the time about people who come, and once they come the first time, they're hooked. But getting in here that first time, you're going to face a battle. Because if that's true, the devil knows that. You've got to be strong. You've got to be courageous. Somehow get them here. Now, let me say again, it's not your job to convert. You should feel no pressure on this. This is a covenant you're making with God. You're going to pray that God opens a door at some point for you to be able to speak into their lives and invite them. So you're praying that God is the one that moves and you're at the right place at the right time and that's not a hard task for God. But you're writing down the name of the person who's far from God that you'd like to see come near. When you begin to have a heart for somebody who's far from God and you bring them near, you change not only one life, you change the lives of everyone around them. Write the name down and see what God will do. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the power of this narrative. And I would ask you in Jesus' name right now, as Jeremiah comes and sings and we all sit in contemplation, that if we don't have the name of a one life, that, Father, you would give that name to us. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes. And I pray for us to have the heart that you so desperately communicated to Jonah that those who are far from God would come near. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts.
today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.